What's up, buddies? It's Concert Buddy. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Mind of the Record Collector here on Vinyl Community Podcasts. Today's conversation is one I shared recently with Scott Wilson. Scott has a YouTube channel called The Pressing Matters. And Scott has a unique perspective on collecting that I find contrary to a lot of community in the sense that where a lot of us are seeking the vintage used OGs, originals, Scott actually doubles down on finding the very best of the best reissues, particularly of the audiophile variety, self-admitted audiophile. We'll kind of talk about that in the conversation. Uh, We also talk about why Scott started making YouTube videos like a lot of us have. And then also talk about his collecting journey, where he started, how long he's been collecting, all that kind of good stuff. And of course, want to end it on a positive note. So we had some rapid fire questions there at the end. But anyway, I really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like Scott did too, hopefully. <laughs> and in turn, I hope you also enjoy this conversation. So enough talking. Let's go. It's official. MoFi Gate is over. We think. And you've reached your vinyl resting place. This is Vinyl Community Podcasts. Thank you, buddies, for checking out another episode of the series I'm calling Mind of the Record Collector. And I'm super excited to have my guest, Scott Wilson, from the YouTube channel The Pressing Matters, joining me. Scott, how are you? I'm great. How are you today? I'm, I'm living the dream, my friend, living the dream. <laughs> Me too. No, I'm really excited because I know you came on our live stream a couple weeks ago and and uh, just been really looking forward to kind of asking you the probing questions. They're not really probing. Like, you know, we already kind of talked about what I'm going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, I think it'll be a good time and, and uh, okay. let's have fun with it. All right. So, Scott. Where I know you from, and, and hopefully some of my viewers and people listening to this on the Vinyl Community Podcasts feed have at least sampled some of your content is on YouTube with your YouTube channel, The Pressing Matters. So I'd love to hear like where that came from. Like, What was your call to action? Were you like a lot of us that we were watching some of this Vinyl Community content and it was a call to action to kind of do our own thing or kind of take me on that journey? Like, What motivated you to start making uh, YouTube content? Um, actually it was, um, it was suggested by my roommate. He would see me, um, you know, see my passion for collecting records and and music and audio and and so forth and always spending hours and hours reading and researching and, you know, also on online looking at, uh, YouTube videos and stuff. And he said, why don't you do that? You have so much knowledge. You'd be perfect for that. I'm like, I don't know. I've never been in front of a camera before. I don't know. And, and I kind of dropped it. And then after a couple more prompts, I said, you know what, damn it. I'm going to just sit down (laughs) on the edge of my bed and do one. Sure. sure. (laughs) And if you go back to my first video, Oh my God, that's exactly what I'm doing. No lighting, no microphone, just (laughs) sitting on the edge of my bed, rambling on, (laughs) but I did it. And I said, okay, I did it. And that was the start. Yeah. So I kind of relaxed after two or three videos and, um, you know, started to perfect my online presence and stuff. And, and finally I got comfortable with it. Nice. Yeah. I would say, well, well, the question I have right away is, have you gone back and watched those first couple of videos just, just for just the novelty of it? Or are they so cringeworthy? You just don't even want to, you're going to black it out. How you feel about them? I want to take them down, but <laughs> he says, no, you got to leave them up there because it shows progress. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I know some people refuse to watch those first videos. It's like Bambi learning to walk kind of thing. But I, but I think it's necessary, right? I think it's important. Yeah. Like, exactly like you said, is that anybody who tries this, it, not just vinyl community videos, but any kind of thing that's new to them and or being in front of the camera is a very foreign thing for a lot of us, right? I think it, you yeah. got to get those sea legs out. So, so I'm happy to hear <laughs> that, that you, like a lot of people, myself included, those first videos are just tough. They're, I even went yeah. back and redid my thumbnails. I was like, I, I, I'm going to leave the videos here, but at least I can improve the thumbnail quality. And even then, uh, it's like, bro. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've thought about that too. <laughs> yeah, but then they see the nice thumbnail and they click on it and they're like, <laughs> "That's true. That is kind of yeah. It's kind of a disconnect. Yeah, that's fair." Um, so, where did you come up with the name? The pressing matters. Like you know, obviously, when you started the channel, was it just under your name, or did you already have an idea of like, "Hey, I'm going to call my channel the Pressing Matters." No, no. Uh, Marco, who appeared in one of my videos, is my roommate <clears throat> and a good friend for many years. Mm-hmm. He he kind of wanted to do it as a joint project. And so he came up with a lot of the original, you know, he got things set up for me. All I had to do was come up with the content at first. And we brainstormed some, some, um, some titles for the channel. And that's what we landed on. It was really his, that was his pick. Okay. I was a little, I thought it was a little hard to say or, I don't know, a little cumbersome. I thought something a little more catchy would be better, but Mm -hmm. it really kind of hones in on what I focus on, which is the pressings and the quality of the pressings and so forth. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I mean, just, I think you've been doing, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, 2021, is that when you started your channel or was it before that? No, 21. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, just in a short time, I mean, you're at over 6,000 subs. I mean, you've had a lot of really good organic growth. So I I think that speaks to the kind of content you're putting out there. Yeah, I think it was June, um, May or June 2021. So it's been two years now. That's awesome. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a, it was a, it's a long, slow process as you, as you know. <laughs> it's the slowest. Sometimes it's the slowest. Well, and and I think, and, and and maybe you don't feel this way, but I know when I've talked to other creators, sometimes you can kind of get wrapped up in that numbers game, right? Like, you know, it, you, you see the numbers or you, or you look at your analytics and you're like, why? You know, I know I've made videos that I've been like super excited. I'm like, man, I really, put, I really knocked it out of the park. I really, this is a great video and I put a lot of work into it. And then it's like, it's dead on arrival. It just, right. Meanwhile, a video I just rushed to put out just to make sure I was hitting something like once a week, et cetera. And I was like, oh, this is a disposable video. It just shoots to the moon. So there's no rhyme or reason to that. Do you, can you relate? Yeah, I can totally relate. Things that I really thought were, were like a super well done video and uh, nicely researched and <laughs> lots of interesting cut-ins and so forth didn't, didn't register. And then something that I whip off in like 10 minutes and throw together like i don't know just this recent one like i mean i kind of thought it out but check the mono versus the stereo mm-hmm. i didn't spend a lot of time on that video and it took off like immediately i guess it's just the content i mean record store day was a big big deal uh, sure. in the community it wasn't a that big a deal for me i, I don't really participate in it that much um, okay. i'm sorry to say but uh I do pick up stuff that I was interested in on the secondary market soon afterwards. So like for Chet, I was able to get the mono um, the next day. There you go. Okay. From the end groove for $32. So I was happy about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Like the record store day thing I think is interesting because there's a lot of videos about it. I admittedly, like when the list comes out, I do feel for myself, that's always a good opportunity to at least throw something out there. But then after record store day, like the last thing I wanted to do was like talk about because you know it's a long at least when I do it, like it's a long day and I go to all these record stores and last yeah. thing I want to do is and, and plus I, I do feel like I, I do want to kind of keep some of that close guarded because I think it's probably and this is just my opinion showing all the records that you get sometimes like it's kind of nauseating, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, there's only so much bandwidth and I don't want to take the viewer on a 40 minute journey talking through like eight records. If I bought, you know, if I, if I have a, a haul like that, so I, I let right. everyone else do the record store day thing and I didn't get caught up in the propulsion of it, but you know, to each their own, you know, there's no judgment here. Yeah. I, I, I've become very, um, organized about how I'm collecting records. I kind of have a master list of what I want to acquire, not particular pressings and um, just titles. Okay. You know, to round out my collection or, you know, I'm kind of like, I've talked about it in a couple of videos, curating a collection, you know? And for me, like, I'd rather spend the money on a certain title than just get like, you know, this um, something that was put together for record store day that's some outtakes or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 
it's a more methodical approach, I guess, to building yeah, I think, a collection. No, I definitely think there's different levels of collecting. Everyone collects for their different reasons and so forth. But, but before we segue to that, um, the last thing I want to ask you about the YouTube experience is, would you recommend it, now that you've done it since 2021, would you recommend it to somebody who may be on the fence? Or if you had, if you were in a similar situation, somebody you knew is like, yeah, I see what you do. It looks fun. Would you recommend it? Because obviously there's a, there's a lot that goes with it, not only the time con- consideration of your time making content and the creativity, but also, I mean, I'm sure you've had them, these goofy troll people that just live to be jerks. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so it, it's part of the recipe. You know, it's part of the herbs and spices. So, so would you recommend the YouTube experience as a creator to others? Well, that's that you mentioned that about the trolls. That's one thing that my friend warned me about the first time I got a negative, like a really nasty negative comment. I was so upset, you know. Of but, course. Um, and I had, I really have only had one guy that was, was added no value at all, you know, just negative, negative, negative from my appearance to my knowledge to my, you know, whatever. Right. And I had to, I had to block him. That's the only person I ever had to block. And um, yeah, so I'm, I don't miss him at all. <laughs> well, my guess is it's probably the same one that bo- bothers a lot of us, and we nobody misses that person. If it's <laughs> but would you would you recommend outside of the troll experience? Would you recommend the experience to others if someone asked? I think if you have um, have some passion and knowledge in a certain yeah in a certain area, sure. Sure. But be, be prepared because like I work full time. I, I haven't had a day off in two years, really. I, I You know, I mean, I, I do. I have two days off a week, but they're making video. That's right. And editing yeah. video and coming up with the concepts. And, you know, it's it it's. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to go out in Miami on a Sunday afternoon, but <laughs> but I'm usually like finishing up a video and trying to get it out. So it, it's time consuming. For sure. For sure. And, you know, the pressure to keep up with current titles and stuff is money consuming, too. That's, That's another true. point. Yeah. yeah. You want to kind of stay current and stay up with the current reissues. And there's only so much you can do. We're getting flooded flooded with high quality stuff these days and you know I, when i did my taxes i looked at how much i spent on records last year and i was like oh my god there goes my retirement but oh maybe i can maybe i can sell my collection at some point for there you go <laughs> yeah right you know it's money on the shelf as my friend brandon says so <laughs> that's funny so yeah so let's let's let's, let's circle back to you brought it up before uh, about your collecting journey so yeah. where where did that start? Are you a lifelong collector, or um, are you a collector of other physical forms of media, CDs, uh, cassettes, whatever? Like, where where did your vinyl collecting journey start? Uh, it probably started like at seven years old. You know, collecting forty fives. I had my little box of forty fives. Nice. nice, yeah. And um, then when I got my first stereo, I started getting LPs and. That was kind of my Beatles, beginning of my Beatles phase. Uh, I was crazy about the Beatles and collected that. And all through my teens, I, I collected vinyl. I worked at a record store um, when I was 16, 17. And uh, that was a great, great experience. Um, I had access to so much stuff and heard so much stuff. And as time went on, I just kept building and building. But there came a point where I was poor and I had to sell off stuff. Mm. And it kills me to think of it to this day, the stuff I sold off oh. for 25 or 50 cents a record. Beautiful oh, stuff. Wow. Too, you wow. know? That was back then when a store would just, you know, try to... Pennies on the dollar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was terrible. But So I've had to rebuild my collection ever since then. I, I may still have some things from my earlier, early days. Mm-hmm. But, um, most of it is newer. Okay, so and that's probably that probably segues into. I know you want to ask me about originals and and reissues. Um, I used to have all the originals. Oh, <laughs> that's oh, wow. the thing, you know. And for me to chase them down again, it has to be a really strong case for the original. And I was thinking about this recently, um, like Moody Blues. I 
I have a couple of British pressings. They're superior by far to anything else I've heard. Any reissue, any U.S. pressing. And yeah, in that case where there's not a really strong quality reissue, I have to go for the originals, you know, so I will. But I'm very, very picky about sound quality, and I'm not one of those that thinks that ticks and pops are part of the allure of, of vinyl. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I really don't like that. I sh and, you know, people say, why don't you just listen to digital? And I'm like, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so so circling back to, uh, you know, you're, you're collecting. So you've been collecting, it sounds like your lifetime, right? Yeah. Um, have, has it always been the same genres or have you diversified your, for lack of a better word, your palate, no. the, the things you've really enjoyed? Like what, what does that look like? Completely. Uh, well, I started with, with top 40 and then rock and then hard rock in my, in my teens. It was, you know, Nugent and Aerosmith and Black Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult and all mm -hmm. that. Um, and I saw all those bands too at that time. Um, and it was around the time I got, I started working at the record store. I was exposed to imports. I started listening to germ, uh, like, uh, you know, Kraftwerk and Eno. And Bauhaus and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 More, more um, German, experimental. And I really got, got quite into experimental music. Um, and then um, progressive rock. So progressive sort of led a little bit into classical, but really my interest in classical got started with um, my reading, which was, I was reading the absolute sound religiously um, back when they were a digest size format. And a lot of the reviewers of the equipment were using classical to evaluate equipment. And that caught my interest. And I said, let me try some. And, you know, progressive rock has elements of classical, of course. So uh, it was kind of a natural for me. And there was a flood of records on the market because CDs had just come out, you know, and people were dumping mm -hmm. their collections. So I picked up a lot of my classical for pennies. Mm -hmm. Really, I never paid much more than $2 for any of my classical records. And uh, with a couple of exceptions. But so I, I got into classical. And then, and, and also folk and a little bit of blues, but jazz was the last, kind of the last frontier for me. That's what I was going to ask you, because, you know, the topic du jour, at least it feels like in the community, let's call it the last 18 to 24 months has been jazz. Yeah. And everyone, it, I say everyone, but a lot of folks doubling down on jazz. And obviously that coincides with just the abundance of riches that we yes. have from from the labels, right? It'd be it acoustic sounds, mobile fit, whoever, right? So, so, so you, so you taken the feet, two feet jump into jazz, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had dipped my toe into jazz back in the '90s, but with these, with these high quality reissue series, it's like you have beautiful, beautiful pressings and masterings, all analog. You know, it's like now's the time to to really delve into the jazz and collect it. Because this this may not happen again, you know. That's true. That's very true. It and you have the contemporary series, which I just reviewed one today. This one, poll winners. Okay. I I would have never thought to buy that, but since it's uh, out on Acoustic Sounds um, contemporary series, Bernie Grundman, QRP. Twenty dollars. I was like, yes, and, I, <laughs> and it's. I named it for my Sunday morning jazz pick. It's really good for that. But, um, but yeah, I, I I think just the abundance of riches, like you say, the, these series are compelling. The high quality masterings. There's no need for me. There's no reason to go search for an original blue note and pay an astronomical sum of money. When you have these, um, you know, music matters, tone poets, and blue note classics, done by the best in the business, it's, it's a no-brainer, really, to me. For sure. What are you? Uh, topic du jour, kind of going around now, is those OJCs are coming back out, right? Oh. Craft is behind them. How do you feel about those? Excited? Yeah, he's rubbing his hands together, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> feed me, excited. feed me more. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited. I, I, I think uh, it's going to be a great series. Um, they have 
what they, they have Kevin Gray, they have RTI. I imagine they're going to be stout jackets for thirty. What is it? Thirty. Thirty dollars. Yeah, thirty-eight. Yeah, but yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you because I've noticed. Obviously, you've noticed this too. Price points keep going up. Part of that is right. inflation. Part of that's demand. It's it's a, a poo-poo platter of variables, right? But um, but I will say, and I've said this from Jump Street. When these titles keep, especially brand new titles or brand new reissues, thirty-eight dollars. Let's stay there. When I'm paying thirty-eight dollars, I have a premium expectation. If I'm paying a premium price. For what is deemed a premium product, I have a premium expectation. So I'm sure, and I think we've talked about this before privately. You get these records and they come to us with the seam splits or all that stuff. There's nothing more frustrating because, yeah, these things are going to happen once in a while. But I'm sure you've experienced it. You pull the record out of the jacket and it, you know, know, it looks like it hit the shop floor. You know, you got to clean it, you know. So do you feel the same way? I know you do. I'm kind of leading you with this one. But, but yeah. As the price points keep going up, do you think it's right or wrong that collectors should have a premium expectation for this product? No, absolutely should. Absolutely. At $38, I think it's a sweet spot for a reissue that's done to the level of a tone poet. Beautiful, you know, but it needs to be perfect. And this one, this one's perfect. The other record I got this week, I don't know if I should mention. (laughs) Go for it. Go for it. Okay, well, Elvis in Memphis, one step. I had, oh. planned on, I had planned on canceling it after my disappointment with CSN. And the record sounds good, but the quality control is awful. <laughs> dished. The, the first one's dished. It doesn't even touch the platter. The second one has distortion at the end of the side. And the side with Suspicious Minds, which is the last track. <laughs> Is off center, so it's like uh, oh. seasick. <laughs> I mean, they've always been good about replacing it, but I'm wondering if that off center pressing. I mean, how many different stampers were done? I don't know. Oh. I don't think as many as they thought in the last, you know, last year oh. or when it was announced. So I, I'm I'm afraid the replacement's going to be the same, but. Yeah, I expect a lot, and I don't put up with any of that crap on $125 pressings. Oh, no. I mean, there there is no margin for error. It, you know, again, I think I'm a little bit more flexible. You know, new record, $25, $30. Sure. Comes with dings or something. I, you know, I've learned to live. I hate it, but I've learned to live with the split seams. I can't do that. Like No. And, and, and not, not to get off on one of my patented rants here, but – it, 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 there's so many different things they could do differently from the, the, the 10, ten tile straight, uh, the, the, the jackets to where, the, the way they put the vinyl in the actual jacket. There's a lot of things I think they could be doing differently, but yes, right. the higher the price point, particularly those one steps. I know there was a lot of folks had the muddy waters one step and I saw countless videos and I didn't even buy it, but I saw countless videos of people showing a lot of the warping you're talking about the seam splits. I mean, nothing more disappointing than opening $125 record, like you said, and and it's subpar on yeah. not just one level, multiple levels, right? I mean, it's such a buzzkill. Imagine getting one of those things on the secondary market sealed. Yeah, and you have no recourse. Oh, Having no recourse. I, I have a few of those things sealed. Um, I remember when Kind of Blue came out, there was a lot of uh, reported problems. So I opened my sealed copy, but and it checked it. And actually, I'm glad I did because I had to replace something in it. But, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I, you have to sell those. Re- I mean, if you're going to sell those sealed copies at some point down the road, you got to say. As is. Yeah. I mean, as it, is. Yeah, because there, there's truly no recourse. And yeah. Even those UHQRs, I mean, I, I like Chad and, like, and, and the stuff they do there. But, I mean, and there's going to be production fallout. I've, I've worked in supply chain most of my career. I understand how that works. But, yeah, man, it, it, like we said, when you are paying that premium price, there's nothing more like a kick to the solar plexus than finding out that it's 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 not where it should be. Or, and in fairness to the manufacturers, I'm sure that they don't, you know, they don't want you to send you junk product either. But, yeah, ugh, the worst. Even I'm even kind of picky with the $19 reissue. This, this was I just picked this up because I want to do a review on this. But I don't know is if you can r- see this, but it's waviness. Is that what I'm seeing? Yeah, it was shrink wrapped so tight. Oh, uh, that and that's jacket, Ro- that's Robin Trower. Is that what that is? Yeah, bridge of size. 
Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> That's Amazon, but I'm not, I ordered another one. Hopefully it comes better, but cause it did sound pretty good, but um, this is one I might want to search a UK on because the reissues that are available, this one from 2014 and Friday music, you know, Friday music. I've never been that thrilled about any of their stuff. Well, a couple things with Kevin Gray involved, but yeah, this is, this is something, uh, yeah, the record also had a few waves <laughs> in it too. I was like, wow, textured cover. Cool. <laughs> It goes yeah. with the image. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not so much. Um, last thing I want to talk about on your collecting journey is uh, you made some videos. I won't call it last, call it two or three months, talking about purging, which a lot of us do, right? Like for a lot of different reasons. It could be financial. They could be running out of space, which is what I'm starting to experience myself. Um, yeah. At what point did you start thinking, man, you need to really start simplifying was it because you had records in multiple rooms of your home or like what what was that thought process like um moving them several times mm. uh you know 50 60 boxes of records is a lot and i moved into this house and all my best stuff is in in my main room but in the garage or the vault is secondary stuff thrift store stuff doubles and triples of thrift store stuff you know i picked up so much stuff during that time i was haunting five rec uh five thrift stores a day during the record purge you know and i have a lot of stuff in there and i am not going to pull it out to listen to it probably mm. it's not in top quality shape or it's you know stuff that i'm not interested in it anymore so and with the expansion because of the channel the expansion of records coming in it's yeah i'm running out of room too not to mention the vinyl storage solutions dual pocket system <laughs> oh mike in canada you've really done it to us collectors I, i'm right there slowly eating up shelves <laughs> yeah yeah that's one thing he doesn't tell you is when you're putting the jackets or the records behind the jacket in that dual pocket and the gate folds and yeah they conveniently are a little bit thicker <laughs> on the shelves than i thought they would be yeah. but it make, makes sense right yeah. um do you, so, do you use those? oh yeah, yeah. I've been, yeah. uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm an early adopter, but I've been using them for a couple of years. I've yeah. kind of experimented with them. And I think I even commented on your, your video you did a week or two ago, um, because you do the, uh, what I'll call the surgical gatefold where you take the two sleeves and put it together. I've bought his straight gatefolds because I was just like, yeah. I, I, I didn't, you know, admittedly lazy about that. Um, and I, I just didn't like the way the fit form. So I think, honestly, I think the way you do it, the Frankensteining of the two into one, I think is probably best practice because his gatefold right now, the gatefold specific is decent, but it still has a lot of air, like it holds a lot of air again, holding more shelf space. Yeah. Um, and it only has the one pocket if you have two, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it, it's not perfected and maybe it can't be perfected. So I've just been putting my gatefolds in one and just calling it a day, but, but you, right. I mean, and, and, and I don't know you're the only one. I think Michael 45 does the same thing. I think I've seen some other channels who will literally perform final storage solution surgery to be able to, <laughs> and, it, and it's a nice, and it's a nice presentation because you know, you can open the gatefold, you have the visuals, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. It's okay. I, I'm not thrilled about the gatefold situation, but I love the way they fit on modern uh, single jackets. Beautiful. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's really clean. Yeah. yeah. Crisp. Like this one, it's there's no extra material. Yep. It's tight. It's yeah, it's really nice. I got used to it. I didn't I never thought I'd get used to that record on the back of the jacket. No, I yeah, that's that's I've only been doing that, gosh, last four years or so. But um I will say and and I mean Mike should write us a check, you know, as flattering as we're being right now. So hopefully if Mike listens to this he'll he'll cut us a check. <laughs> but but the, the other thing I really like about these is that, you know, they have those sharp corners. So if you drop a record, if, which happens, they actually kind of are like almost protective about corner dings and stuff. Cause I've done that a time or yeah. two. And, and I don't know if he's ever advertised that as such. I don't know. It's like, a, it's like a little like byproduct feature that I think that there's no other sleeves on the market that can say that, you know what I mean? Just the way that they're cut and the way they're right. like formed. I mean, it's, it's saved me from some corner dings. Are you doing the um, wrap the flap around the spine? Yes. You, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, 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 I experimented with just the tucks, 
Not, mm. <laughs> sounds terrible. Just a touch. But, <laughs> but, but without the adhesive, right? I've even experimented because I know he's, he's experimenting with tape on body versus tape on the flap. Um, right. I tried them both. I like the tape on body personally because the one thing I, I didn't really care about, like for J- Japanese sleeves, for example, is if you pull a record out, even if I like I was at a record show this morning and you pull it out to look at it and then the stupid flap sticks to the, you know, like it's, yeah. it, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a mess. Right. So I, I do prefer Mike's, I don't think he has a patent on it, but I mean, just having the tape on the body makes a world of difference. It makes it cleaner for extraction, for review, yeah. you know, et cetera. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of his products. I was supposed to do a big overview of all of them, um, but uh, it was so involved. There's so many there's so many variations of everything. It was like it was a little too much to put together in one swoop. So that's why I did that last uh, video. Yeah, that was a great video for sure. Um, All right, so the meat of the conversation, Scotty, you ready? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, but we already kind of hit on some of the cues. Is um, you know, in some circles of the community, this can be a polarizing topic, but audio files, admittedly. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I see. I was, I was leading you into a corner. No audio files and, and you're admittedly an audio file. What does audio file mean to you personally? Okay. First of all, I'm not embarrassed to say I'm an audio file. I know, I know it has some negative con- connotations to some people's, but, uh, it's to me, it's just someone that uh, appreciates music reproduced on, on quality equipment. So, you know, it's not necessarily about records so much, although there are, you know, audiophile productions and audiophile pressings. The term gets bandied around a lot, but mm-hmm. to me, it's just someone that appreciates high quality, high end reproduction of, of music. So it doesn't have to be vinyl. It's just um, someone that's deeply into the sound of sound of re- music, the sound of recordings. And and do you believe that extends not just to the recordings, but also the equipment? Because I know some people. That's another layer of the audiophile conversation. Is that uh, how how you know if people? There's a lot of judgment. I hate to say this, but there's a lot like if, especially if anyone can see your setup in your videos or you share your a room tour or what have you. Uh, you know, I can't believe that you have your speakers on the same level as your turntable, or I can't believe yeah. that, you know, you're using Polk speakers. Those are trash. So there's a lot, there's a lot, but I mean, <laughs> but, but it's like that in any kind of hobby or any kind of, uh, you know, a- adult experience. Right. So um, do you think the audiophile experience extends to the equipment itself too, or is it really to each their own? I think it does extend to an ex- uh, it is to an extent the, about the equipment too, but it doesn't have to be mega buck equipment. There's great audiophile components in all levels. You know, there's $500 turntables that are great, you know, yes. for, for a starter or, you know, $1,000 amp or something. It's not like you have to go all, all the way up that ladder. And there's definitely a point where it's, it peaks. Sure. In terms of value and sound quality and improvements, but yeah, it's um, I, I was very careful about that at the beginning <laughs> um, because I knew how hypercritical people can be of equipment, and I felt like I had decent equipment. But sure. um, the first, if you if you did ever watch my first couple of videos, I actually did the evaluations in an audio salon, an audio store. Um, Soundlux. I went there with my my uh, kind of blue 45s, and we did some comparisons on some audio note equipment. And I kind of did that to kind of give the channel a little bit of um, credibility at the beginning. Yeah, proof. Yeah, social proof. Yeah. And I said, you know, I listened to it on my modest equipment, and then this expensive equipment. This is what I came to, the conclusion I came to. But slowly over time, I started showing a little bit of my equipment and upgrades and stuff um, to the point where now I've upgraded um, a phono preamp and cartridge and the amplifier is all tube now. So I feel like I have a, 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 a system on the level that many people watching the channel might have. Okay. You know, or... It's not like a very expensive one, but it's probably, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say, but. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. And it's not yeah. so much. Yeah. Not so much about price, but I know also yeah. like for me, right? Like I, 
when I started, like I had, actually, I still have it. I had like a Sony entry level turntable, right? Ten over ten years ago, when I started getting into records like heavily, um, but it's been kind of what you said is like piecemeal. It's like you learn a little bit more. Um, I started going after vintage stuff, like so. I have a Marantz turntable, and then I was like, I need a Marantz receiver, right? So it's clean, I, you know, and it's the '70s stuff. So you know that what some call the golden age of hi-fi, right? Right, um, right? Is that is that the answer for everybody? No, it's the answer for me. Now I pair that with modern speakers, you know what I mean? And I have modern preamp, so um, or a phono, but. So to each their own, right? But to that point, there is a wee bit, a little bit of judgmentalness when it comes to, you know, like, oh, well, how can, how can you be the authority on X if your equipment is Y? And, and I think that's a little misguided, personally. That's why I always, whenever I'm commenting on sound, either in, a, in the forums or on my channel, if you go to my description box, it has everything listed that I'm listing on, listening on. So there can't be really any criticism because it's all there in black and white. Yeah. Full transparency. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, I've, I've, just, I've seen it like you're in the Hoffman forums. I've seen you comment before on there. Um, yeah. So, so the real topic, and I know we're a year removed from this, but I don't know if I ever, I know you probably commented on it over the course of some of your videos last year, but uh, MoFi gate, did that mm. change your perception of that company and their output? And their product, knowing that there was the DSD step, because I know some people swarm off entirely. I won't name names, but you know what I mean. Like some people really were offended. I was, I was a little bothered that there was some uh, deliberate um, omission <laughs> of their process. Yeah. But, but I mean, their product. You know, Mazzy says this all the time. Did it sound different the day before you learned this and the day after? And the, the, the fact of the matter is, no, right. Right. Um, so, so how did you feel about that whole experience and did it change your, uh, your experience and your perception of mobile fidelity? Um, it, I wasn't a, as upset as most people were and I had a lot invested in at least, at least the one steps, but I've been collecting mobile fidelity for years and I like a lot of their output. And, and again, it's always on a case by case basis of with them because their mastering is kind of a house sound and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but um, it kind of made, it kind of woke me up to the overpricing, the one steps mm. that was really what kind of shook me up. And then I kind of looked at my shelf and I'm like, I realized I'm not really listening to these one steps. And I don't know if it's because it's such a pain in the ass to get the, <laughs> to, get <out> the <laughs> to withdraw the material. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, and you know, I, I had them in these clear, uh, hard plastic cases from Bags Unlimited, like like a real box. Yeah, 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 box within some, a box. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. So they are. They sit there. I play a few of them. I like. Aham, uh -huh, fragile. I like. Um, oh, what's some of the other ones? Like the, Eagle, the Eagle stuff. Did you like the Eagle stuff? They did. I only got the first one, and I liked it. Yeah, but uh, the CSN I thought was a disaster, mm. and uh, I didn't like that at all. Maybe not their fault. The tape might have just been tired, but sure, sure. <clears throat> um, but uh, then again, like so speaking of uh, Norman. Maslow. I was in a thread and he was going on and on and on about this. And oh, yes. I, yeah. He, yeah. He, I got one of those because of his, uh, his insistence. Yeah. <laughs> so I got that and I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And that's Jeff, he, for, 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 yeah, Jefferson. That's Jefferson Airplane, right? Yeah. yeah Surrealistic yeah, yeah. pillow, 45. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. It's a great mono mastering. Um, it takes place next to my my Steve Hoffman one, you know, mm -hmm. the stereo mm -hmm. one, but yeah, I'm not, I haven't sworn them off. I'm not looking to sell them um, sure. at this point, but yeah. Conveniently, you know, well, conveniently, you know, there was some of the talk at the time of people just dumping and running. I've had it. I'm so over mobile fidelity, but conveniently I didn't see these mass sales <laughs> that were being <laughs> threatened. You know, like, like I think when push came to shove, people are like, eh, I'm not going to be so quickly to dump all this invested value in not just in expense, but also their time. And, and, right. and, again, and like you said, the quality that some of the titles, high quality, the Dylan stuff, great. The mile stuff, yeah. great. The Clapton right. unplugged. 
meh. You know what I mean? So it, it really is, like you said, I take the words out of your mouth, a case-by-case basis. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I, I was willing to give them another a second chance for sure. Yeah. Do you have, uh, are you like a lot of us, do you have a lot of things on pre-order? In advance, like you could, you know, because they always do this tease where the Van Halen one stuff. So I'll use that as an example. Uh, coming soon, and then that could mean three years. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, this this Elvis was like I I went to look at my order because I had to have the order number, and I'm like, it was years ago, <laughs> like three years ago. I ordered it with I don't know a couple other ones and Bitches Brew, I think, and sure, sure sketches of spain i wanted to get something else i haven't heard a word about that oh yeah you can't um, yeah. yeah i have vh1 i'm gonna try one of them hotel california i have same yeah because yeah. it'll probably sound good but and, and i'm really curious about these Joni mitchell ones too um they've never been done on 45 so mm. i don't know i mean the recent box sets have been great though Bernie Grumman did a wonderful job on those, and they're all analog. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're really—it's really not necessary to do uh, a one step of it. But I got to say one thing about <laughs> the more I play with those boxes, the more I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're speaking to our friend in the Pacific Northwest. Your, your music to his ears, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like them. I'm like, you know, you can get. They should have done. They should have done um, Elvis like this. Yeah. Can you imagine a nice, glossy cover of that Elvis shot? It's so beautiful. Well, think about what they're doing, too, about, like, say, for example, like Vinyl Me Please, who I have, like, a love-hate relationship with sometimes, is that the quality of the jackets that they are using of late, I mean, there's high, there's high gloss, there's multiple treatments, there's the, the, the foil. You know, there's so many layers of quality. It outputs quality, right? Um, that I personally, kind of to your point, I would prefer that these uh, manufacturers go down that path as opposed to another box. Because I'll be honest, the one-step boxes, I'm not impressed. The quality, like I've had some of them bend if you leave them open. You know what I mean? Like I don't think right. it's high-grade material. I understand why they do it for a presentation purpose and to make it feel special and unique, not knocking that. But to your point, you can kind of get the same effect if you double down on the actual quality and materials and did some different kind of treatments, high gloss, you know, what, what so many different things they could do. And right. and I've talked to other people in the community about this. It would also help that price point because, man, 125 is this really tough, you know, maybe 75 to 90 would really be, you know, kind of the sweet spot. And again, I'm not trying to pick apart yeah. the pricing strategy, but I, but I do think, and now, and, and this is the thing that always wrecks me too, is that starting with the Michael Jackson thriller, they did that slimline box. Right. I, I never Why? saw it. I never actually held one in my hand, but it's it's similar to the um the craft recording the craft one. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's just a slimline box and and why they changed that because then the other one stuff's coming after it, the Elvis and so forth. Those were in that their traditional box. I mean, why I, yeah. I, more questions than answers and I don't want to uh, hijack <laughs> the conversation. So, um crazy all right well scott i think we've hit the the fun portion of the program we've we've hit all the hard the heavy hitting probing questions let's do some rapid fire questions okay all right (laughs) (laughs) nothing to be nervous about this isn't the dentist's office don't worry we're not we're not we're not getting the novocaine here um first question i got for you do you believe and there's a term thrown around a lot in the community grails do you subscribe to this and, and do you believe in grails uh yeah i believe in them but i don't, can't say that i uh have any yeah see okay so, so you've checked those off your list if if and when they existed yeah i like like you mean like a particular country of origin pressing that you have to have sure like if it's like the abbey road 1a 1b or you know i'm making that up but you know yeah. something right. like that right yeah I, I definitely believe in it um for me I'm not going down that path right now. So, but if it, if I come across one, I'll know it's a grail. <laughs> You'll know when you see it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, next one I got for you. What was the hardest record for you to find? And it's similar to that grail thing, where you once you knew you were looking for it, um, 
you, it, it wouldn't say obsess you, but it was definitely top of mind for a long time. And, and until you got it, what, what's the hardest one that's been hardest for you to track down? Mm. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Probably a classical one. Really? And I, okay. I ended up one of the few classical titles I ended up paying a lot of money for. It was Gerhard's The Plague. It's called. Okay. It's a, it's fairly obscure. It's on Decca. Um, there wasn't a lot made because it's an odd record, but um, it was in Harry Pearson's Absolute Sound disc, super disc list forever. And I wanted a copy. I wanted a copy. I never, never saw one. Hardly ever saw one for sale. And one, one day, I, I before the internet, I think it was. And oh, wow. I found, found one, yeah. Yeah, I was around before the internet. No, no, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, tease, there will be a question about that coming up here at the end. But, uh, but no, there, I mean, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this. The feeling of finding a record like that in the wild, just randomly, it, it's... I call it the yeah. oh shit moment, right? Like where you're flipping and you're like, oh shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, because the more you collect and the longer you've been doing this, like a lot of us have, those moments, those moments are fewer and far between, but they still exist. And so even if like I've been in shops before where somebody next to me or aisle over has that experience, and I always love hearing that because because that's what kind of draws us into the hobby and really makes us appreciate it is those right. little moments, right? Of Because the surprises, again, is this particularly used market is drying up. Like those, those times are few and far between. Yeah. I remember one, one time I was in a thrift store like called bargain barn. It was like, they had a lot of records, but they were always picked through. And one day I was going through one box and I saw this classical record, a violin record on Capitol, the magic bow. And I knew it was like a valuable record. It's like a $500 mm -hmm. record. Mm. And I, I carefully pulled it out and it was like perfect, just perfect. Awesome. And that's, yeah, I love, I used to love that kind of stuff, but here the records, the, the thrift stores don't have anything anymore. Yeah. The thrift store scene, I think holistically is uh, 10 years ago, different story. You could still yeah. find great stuff. But now I think that again, with the advent of the internet, I know like Goodwill, for example, has a, their own website shop Goodwill, which is really yeah. just distorted the whole idea of thrifting as a whole. But, um, all right, so next one I got for you, Scott. If you move, you kind of hit on this before about moving with records, but if you move, will your entire collection follow or will this be an opportunity to continue? Okay, you're already shaking your head. Going to streamline it even no. further? This is, this is, yeah, this is something that's going on in my head. That's really uh, what that curating downsizing project is all about is because I may have to move at some point, um, you know, in the next 10 years or so. Mm hmm I want to have a concise collection. <clears throat> I'm going to keep keep my vinyl, but I'm going to keep all the best. And I'm thinking maybe it'll be about 2,000. <laughs> maybe 2,000 instead of 5,000. So I have to get rid of a lot. Makes sense. Yeah. Next one for you. What's What would you say is your favorite part of the vinyl community on YouTube? Is it the people? Is it the information share? What is that? This is, this is something that totally took me by surprise with a channel, is I've met so many great people that, you know, if they're in town, they want to meet, or if even, like, I went to an audio show and someone came up to me and like, oh, I love what you do, and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> 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 and I'm like, oh, that, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but no, but I've made I've made some great friends in the comments. And I think this is part of the secret to the success of the pressing matters is the comments I pay a lot of attention to. I know like you can leave a comment on some on some somebody's video and you might not even get an answer or you might just get a a heart. Yeah, an acknowledgement. Yeah, the yeah, like or something. Yes. No, yeah. I go I go into discussion with people and that, they love it. They it's love important. It. And it's important. I've developed some great friendships um, through there and some very nice people, you know, just it, that's that's been one of the greatest things. I agree wholeheartedly. It's been one of my favorite. Actually, if not the favorite part is the connective piece of yeah. even people that I mean, I'm going to be honest, I, I probably will never meet. But just having that connect point and know, remembering the names, you know what I mean? is like, oh, yeah, there's such and such from such and such. It's so great to see him, especially if you haven't seen him in a minute. That's always yeah. that always jazzes me up. 
Yeah. All right. Well, Scott, we're at the end. I got one more for you, and then I'll let you go about your okay. Miami day. All right. So you so you touch on earlier, but I'm going to come back to the internet piece because, like you said, you've been doing this well before the internet. Now we're in the internet age. What does Discogs mean to you? Do you is it a information tool only? I mean, is your entire collection catalog is an essential now for the modern record collector? What say you? I think it is essential. Um, I use it mainly as a catalog cataloging tool. Um, not my whole collection is not in there. Um, it's probably I have about fifteen hundred records in there, and it is kind of. Uh, essential to know, to have all that information, to know exactly what pressing you have and the value uh, that it's had over time. Um, it's quite, it's quite interesting to see as you <laughs> keep entering how that figure just jumps. It's like, whoa, yeah, it's pretty cool. I do buy things off there as well. I don't really use eBay, so if I need a mm. A rare, uh, you know, a, a certain pressing. I will, I will go through Discogs. So yeah, it's a very valuable thing. I love it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, Scott, we did it. We did <laughs> All it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you can now set your phasers to relax. We are through the the, the hard period. <laughs> Big sigh. No, no. It, seriously, Scott, I'm glad we could connect on this. I've always wanted to like talk to you in a more direct fashion. I know like we interacted, like I said, on the live stream a couple weeks ago and we right. talk in the comments exactly what you're talking about. Right. But yeah, uh, I've always appreciated you being supported in my channel and the stuff you do on your channel. And, and again, appreciate you taking this time here, but this is uh, yeah. Scott Wilson, the pressing matters. Check it out on YouTube. I'll have links below. If you either see this on YouTube on my channel, or if you hear it on vinyl community podcasts, all the information will be there, but a very, entertaining and informative resource in the vinyl community for audiophile and beyond let's check out the pressing matters but scott thank, thank you for your time buddy appreciate it thank you so much chance i appreciate it talk to you again all right and that was another trip around the turntable thanks for listening to vinyl community podcasts